When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you, when you dig into the data that's as a part of that book, you realize one of the things that the, are you know befalling young men is that they're self-initiating in the man into manhood. When Dr. Farrell went on Jordan Peterson's podcast for the third shout out for him on the show, that's what they talked about. Because when nobody tells you, hey, you're a man now, here are the good things about you that are innate that are going to do you well. Here are the bad things about you that are innate that you're really going to struggle with. And also here's what the community requires of you. Now here are your list of responsibilities. If you don't do that, the boy will self-initiate and he will say, well, I just had sex for the first time. I guess I'm a man. Well, I just moved out of the house and I moved on to college. I guess I'm a man. Well, I just paid uh, cash for my first pickup truck. I guess I'm a man now. And when left to their own devices, a lot of these young men will shockingly turn to things that aren't to their betterment or the betterment flourishing of society around them and so let's go welcome to citizen today we have a very special guest kyle thompson from undaunted life uh how's it going happy to be here man thanks for having me yeah for sure so tell us about yourself a little bit and uh, about your uh your business here and what you do yeah i guess the the short version of it is uh when i was a teenager Around the same time I was learning to become a man, I also became a Christian. And so when you're going through that period early in your life, and my dad wasn't living with us at the time because my parents were divorced, like you you got a lot of kind of cultural cues of things that you're supposed to pick up on and things like that. And so the really long story short is I grew up with the paradigm that all the godly men were in church doing all like the godly stuff. You know, they were shaking your hands and telling you they'd pray for you. And they, they always had their, you know, shirts completely tucked in and it was all, you know, nice and good. And all the manly dudes were outside doing man stuff. And like, I grew up in, in Lawton, Fort Sill. And so I've, I've been around military my entire life. And so it was like, I saw this kind of vast dichotomy, but whenever I got into my twenties, I realized that there was, you know, some of the rougher dudes, the guys that were a little rougher around the edges, whether it may be military or construction or fighters or things like that, that they were maybe missing out on the reality of who Jesus is because mm. they look at some of his followers and they're like, I, I don't want to be like that guy. Like you walk into church and you're like, wait, th- these are the guys I'm supposed to model after. And, and so, you know, I started doing some things in, in the men's ministry space and um, most men's ministries are just women's ministries repackaged for men. Right. And so it's like, it's the same content, but they just tell men to do it. And so I wanted to create some content that was going to be unique uh, for, for men. And so uh, that led to some devotionals that I wrote. It led to our podcast and on our podcast, since we've had, uh, we've done that since 2017, we cover faith, culture, and politics. And we don't really shy away from any subject matters because what we realize is there's a lot of pastors, if you can even call them that, that are not really leading their flocks. They're just hiding. They don't want to talk about any of the hot button issues. And what happens is the people that go to their churches are really confused how to push back darkness and culture. And so we're here to equip men to push back darkness. And uh, that's kind of what we're setting out to do. Hmm. And what, what do you mean when you say darkness exactly? Because so, the reason, the reason I ask is because uh, you and I have very different um, views on the nature of the universe, I suppose, which mm-hmm. is you, you could make that, <clears throat> You can make that uh, assessment about not just the religious and irreligious, but intra-religion as well, right? People, 
of disparate faiths have different ideas about the mechanics of the universe, the mechanics of things like soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation and things like that. Um, but what's very, the, the most interesting part to me is the way in which we go about, you know, to, to me, religion is like man's path of self-discovery in the universe, trying to figure out what the hell's going on and so on and so forth. And it, and it strikes me, um, that almost every, almost every religion or every philosophy that is even irreligious seems to land on some of the same core elements, right? Like honor and loyalty and truthfulness and respect and uh, non-violence unless it's necessary and things like that. So it's very interesting to me to, to hear from people of different backgrounds on this because while we do have very disparate views on how things are, um, the way we live our lives are, are pretty similar, right? When I think, uh, I mean, that that's a really good point. I like having these conversations as well, because I didn't grow up thinking this way. Mm. Like I, I grew up in Oklahoma. And so you're kind of like Christian by dint of birth, I right. guess, because you were born on the red clay of Oklahoma. And so it wasn't something that I really discovered for myself until my, my teenage years. Um, to go back to your original question, even just about darkness, when I talk about darkness, there's darkness in, in many forms. You can talk about cultural doc darkness, societal darkness. You know, on this show, you, you talk a lot about the responsibilities of a citizen, right? And so there is darkness, I believe, in people that are not taking up the mantle of responsibility that they should have to the culture that is around them, to the greater community that is around them. But I think ultimately there is a darkness that comes from I guess you could call it the celestial battle between good and evil. So between God and Satan, between light and dark and, and those types of things. And we all kind of play a role in that type of a, of a generalized battle. But the thing that's interesting about all of us uh, is most of us would agree on some of the things that we would consider to be dark, you know, like uh, raping and murdering a three-year-old mm. child like that, that we would all consider that to be wrong. And if you don't think that's wrong, then, you know, we institutionalize those people, we euthanize those people. But the thing about it is, is we have to ask the question of why do we think Think those things are wrong mm -hmm. and you could get i mean you could get crazy deep into the philosophical and then you eventually end up questioning whether or not it's you having those thoughts or whether or not it's the ether that put them into your brain but i, I think overall we all live especially in the west especially in the united states with the foundation of a Judeo-Christian ethic, and we sneak that into whatever worldview that we've decided upon, whether that is, you know, Reformed uh, Protestant Christianity or Catholicism or atheism or agnosticism or, or you know, secular humanism or something mm. like that. We still have a Judeo-Christian framework that we operate off of because a lot of those other disparate worldviews don't give you the reason to say that, hey, human life is worth things. It's valuable. We should protect it. And so, that's why I like kind of digging into these conversations. It'd be way more appropriate over a whiskey and a cigar, but just to really dig in to be like, okay, why do we believe the things that we do? Sure. Yeah. But you know, to your point, um, this idea that human life is, uh, I guess, precious for some reason or another or purposeful. It, it it's, you, you find that in every major religion or philosophy, right? Like there's no, unless it's some kind of nihilistic situation, people don't generally, um, <clears throat> just discard human beings for no reason, right? I mean, and, and practice you will see it sometimes by madmen, but you're not going to find that um, too deeply rooted in in any kind of religion. There, there's some like Islam's got some problematic statements, right? Because and, and you can yeah. tell based on 
you can tell based on, uh, you know, doctrine and theology when a particular religion came about and theirs came about during a time of like world war, basically like, Mm. like centuries long world war, uh, particularly (sighs) wars of conquest, uh, from external sources. Right. So in the same way that Judaism has a lot of, uh, you know, I guess antagonistic viewpoints towards, uh, Gentiles until later on, um, they, they decided, you know, structurally to and and as a as a diaspora to to fight back against that in in different ways right so like they their idea was to become extremely successful and not not in the in the stereotypical kanye west style uh uh statements but like successful in culture in culture you know what I mean? Not like not like Jews running the banks in the world and all that stupid bullshit. Hey, man, we're only like five minutes into this and we already got Kanye West coming into oh, the yeah. thing. But well, yeah. the, the funny thing about what, what you're bringing up is so uh, there's a lot of people that if you don't really spend a lot of time thinking about religion or, or reading about it or any of those types of things, you look at most religions as if they're fundamentally the same and only superficially different. But it's it's typically the exact opposite. They're superficially the same and fundamentally different. So if you take just the three major religions here in the United States, so you have Christianity, Islam and Judaism, like they have a lot of the same viewpoints in terms of God. And you mm. can use capital G God, undercase God, you know, whatever, however you want to couch it. But if you just look at one particular subject matter within those three things, let's take uh, the life of an actual historical person named Jesus from the area of Nazareth. Those are three very, very different viewpoints as to who that guy is. Christians believe that he is the risen son of God. And the only way that we will have propitiation or the payment of debts for our sins is through believing in that. Jews believe that he was a great rabbi that died because he got out over his skis. And the Muslims believe that he was also a great rabbi, but also that he never died. He swooned when he was on the cross. And then, you know, he wasn't actually ever killed. And so um, there's a lot of very, very different worldviews. And so the core of of why I believe what I believe is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not just because I believe it because it makes me feel good, but the historicity surrounding a lot of those things. And so I, I think this is even a good idea you know, because you spend a lot of time talking about politics on this podcast, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's unique. Well, obviously, it's called Citizen. It's unique how you break things like that down. Because some people, I forget who, it may have been whenever, uh, uh, the guy from Babylon B, I think you, you said something uh, about this here recently. Yeah, Joel where you're Barry. talking to. Okay, that's right. You're talking about people that are Republican, and they don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just like, they, they check the box of Republican, they like the elephant logo or whatever, but they're not really following whether or not their ideology still fits with what the RNC would say a Republican is. Same could apply for Democrats. Look at Tulsi Gabbard just leaving the Democratic Party. She didn't leave the Democratic Party because she doesn't believe in everything the DNC believes. She still believes most of that stuff. It's just all the the, the woke stuff and all uh, some of the, the cultural things that they're doing, she just can't co-sign anymore. So I know we're getting off into a bunch of different topics, but it's just better for a lot of people to understand that when you're looking at worldviews and comparing them, you should look at where they're different and find out fundamentally why that is. Uh, yeah, sure. But I think, you know, we got to, uh, it, it's f- for, for education purposes. I think that's interesting to do, but, um, for living together, I'm not sure focusing on our differences is necessarily, uh, the best strategy to have. I mean, <clears throat> we all have to, uh, you know, live together and operate together and, and more importantly, run governments together. Right. And people are going to have disparate viewpoints, even within a single sect of a religion, people are going to have different viewpoints on things. There are people who share, uh, religious views that don't share political views, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
why it, it is very interesting to me to understand the, I guess the idiosyncratic differences between some of these things. Um, what really interests me is how the vast majority of the belief system is essentially the same, right? I mean, the, I, the crux of Christianity is obviously the doctrine of salvation, right? Like how do you make amends for your, uh, well, for sins other people did, I guess. And I, I don't really like subscribe to any of that stuff, but, um, even within Christianity, how to, uh, resolve that issue is not, it's not the same everywhere. Like Catholics have a very different understanding. Uh, right. uh, Presbyterians have a very different understanding. Calvinists have a very different understanding mm -hmm. than just standard Protestants. So it is, it is interesting to listen to debates about that stuff. But for me, it's a, a, a lot more utilitarian to say, yeah, the, that's all really interesting. But how are we as a collective group going to uh, structure our daily lives and our educational systems and our politics in a way that best serves all these things? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the thing I would add to it is I think most of us are on a truth quest, even though now it's it's convenient just for people to say, oh, well, this is my truth and that's your truth and all that's like, well, no, like things are either true or they're not like so Jesus Christ was either a real person or he wasn't and his last name wasn't Christ, but like he was either a real person that existed or he didn't. Mm -hmm. He either really died on a Roman cross at the behest of the Jewish Sanhedrin or he didn't like he either rose from the dead or he didn't. And like that's the, the most important question you could try to dig down and answer in terms of why we operate things, whether it's like political, you know, how we do things politically financially how we do things as a culture one of the things is people will break it down as like this is a morally good thing to do and this is a morally bad thing to do this is something that leads to human flourishing or this is something that doesn't and what you have to ask yourself is where do we get that because we have a, a way to differentiate between good and evil so when people talk about evil well you have to have something to compare that to that's how we know we have good same thing would go like, how do how can we tell the difference between good and evil? There's obviously a moral law with which to differentiate between the two. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any idea what was good and what was bad. And typically, and I say typically, and I don't mean this in the, I guess, utopianist sense that some people would think of it uh, ideologically. But when you're operating in a culture and you're wanting the most human flourishing possible, you have to have a moral code with which to base that on. Because, I mean, just look at the disparate things. Obviously, you, you've talked about communism on the show. You've talked about socialism. You've talked about totalitarianism. And then you look at the other different structures that we have currently here in the United States of America. And it's like, you have to have a pretty good reason other than, well, financially, I just don't really know that communism would really work. And it usually comes down to whether or not the human beings flourish under that mm -hmm. type of an environment or they don't. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, my religion is liberty. I, I don't really see a need for any of the other stuff. Although I do like if, and I, this, this is a message for people who are not religious. If you are an atheist or agnostic, or I don't think any of these words really need to exist to be honest, but if you're, uh, <clears throat> I guess, irreligious, uh, you, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't, you know, take a peek at all the religions and, and the things that a bunch of really smart people have said, for the last three or 4,000 years now, right? I mean, uh, just in modern America, I feel like a lot of our problems could be solved just by reading the Stoics, frankly, and that was written quite a while sure. ago. I mean, we're talking about 2,000 to 2,500 years ago. Um, people solved problems that we are still trying to trying to solve today. Uh, on, your, uh, on your statement about good and evil, I think that's really interesting. Um, 
in nature, traits and behaviors are either adaptive or maladaptive, right? So they are either traits that will keep you personally alive or risk your life or your status in the community. And then collectively, there are traits and behaviors that will lead either to the flourishing of your community or the, the disillusion of your community, right? So sure. uh, I've always – there's a point in in the evolution of the brain, right, the social nature and then the self-awareness where – uh, societies, whether they be, you know, uh, reptiles or mammals start to punish other people for committing certain acts. Right. So if you're, um, up to a point, if you're the dominant aggressive male in a species, you probably will lead. Right. But if you become abusive unnecessarily, so everybody will rise up against you. And this is, Mm -hmm. this is why I tell, this is when, when I talk about the constitution on this show, I always try to make it a point <clears throat> to say that the government doesn't give you rights. Words on a piece of paper, that doesn't give you rights. Those rights are natural rights, right? In the same way that mm-hmm. I, I, I believe morality is a is morality and ethics are natural. They're very obvious, right? Uh, to not murder, to not steal, to not rape, uh, to not use your power to subjugate or oppress other people. These are pretty obvious things that you can see. And it's uh, the way that it's articulated in philosophy and religion is typically through parables, right? Because what's right right now, in some cases will always be right. And then in some cases it won't, right? So uh, things change. So the the idea of, of don't murder people well, what does it mean to murder somebody really? You know what I mean? If there's an existential threat down the road and your family's in danger and you go smoke that dude, is yeah. that murder? And I think these are really important questions we have to ask ourselves. But more importantly than that, we have to understand that morality itself isn't shifting ground. It isn't quicksand or anything like that. You're not building on an unstable platform, but you do need to understand that things change over time, right? Right. Like if you're building on certain types of property, you need to use certain types of materials. And in the same way, in in different circumstances, man, and this is why we're so fucked as a country right now, because we're trying to teach people what to think instead of teaching them how how to think and be resilient and be flexible. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying having flexible morals. What I'm saying is you have to be smart enough and self aware enough and morally conscious enough to make more good decisions than you make bad decisions, right? Yeah. To eschew your anger and your rage, your contempt, your fear, and all that stuff, and make good, solid decisions, not just for you and not just for your family, but for all of society, right? Otherwise, we're all fucked. When I think, so I want to put a pin in the word resilience because I think that's a word that needs to be pounded into culture, mm-hmm. and we basically avoid it like the plague. So let me put a pin in that. There was another word you used earlier, Dan, where you were talking about morality and how some of these things are obvious. Where I would push back on that is there have been cultures you know, basically for all of history, that a lot of the things that we consider in our modern ethic, mm-hmm. that like they, they did the murdering and the raping and all those things. And there was no, there was no compunction. There was no like, oh, I'm going to have to really think about that. And the interesting thing about it, and dude, we don't have like five hours to talk about this, but nobody ever judges a lion for killing a baby zebra. Mm-hmm. That That's just what a lion does, right? But if an adult male were to murder a small child, we all of a sudden call that wrong. 
And so the dividing line that some people draw is, is uh, awareness, right? You know, yeah. like consciousness, like, oh, well, that the lion doesn't know it's a lion and it doesn't know that's a baby zebra. We do. And we anthropomorphize and mm. we put human emotions onto things that are not humans. And again, you, you could open up a whole lot of cans here, but overall, it's like, why do we know that that is wrong? That And you have to answer that. And when, when you and I first met, uh, we talk, talked about how, in my view, every single world, you have to answer the four questions, which are origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did we all come from? Meaning, why are we all here? Morality, what's the difference between good and evil? Destiny, where do we go when we die? And so everybody has answers to those questions based on their worldview. Now, you brought up a lot of great points, and I get more frustrated with Christians than probably you do with Christians just because of obviously the hypocrisy and the disputatious attitudes about things that don't need to be argued about and different things like that. The thing that whenever you break it down, though, is when you look at the these Christian cultures, uh, I, I heard someone describe it the other day. They're like, uh, you know, if someone's in Guitar Center and they're playing, you know, Guns N' Roses, like, and they play it poorly, mm. you don't get mad at Slash for, for the fact that someone's playing it poorly. Like, you go back to the original a creator of that music and say, what was it supposed to sound like? And then you judge that. And so I think a lot of people love to judge when Christians, especially high profile Christians cheat on their wives, uh, abuse people sexually, steal money, all those different things. And it's like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to stand on your side of the, of the line and, and, you know, judge those people as well. But it's like, why? Like, why do we hold them to this this different standard of, of morality? But, um, and again, we'll, we'll talk about resilience as well, but I wanted to throw that back out there to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't necessarily, uh, it's a poor craftsman that blames their tools, right? And religion yeah, is sure. in that sense, a tool. Um, and it, yeah, it's not, uh, I, I guess you could make some argument that if the prescription of a particular ethos is, is untenable, that people mm -hmm. simply can't do it, uh, right. or, or that it's, is that in my mind, I'm not sure that is effectively different than it just being wrong in the first place. You know what I mean? Um, but <clears throat> yeah, you're back to the other part. Yeah. There's been like ritual human sacrifice in cultures, especially in North yeah. and South America. Um, the uh, Shinto religion in Imperial and Japan before, you mm -hmm. know, the middle of the 20th century was pretty problematic where they believed that, Japanese people were, you know, created as children of the sun and everybody else was basically a, a, a farm animal, you know what I mean, to yeah. be done with as you see fit. Uh, there's been there's been plenty of that. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the interesting thing, though, like I want to I want to drill down on one of these comments that you made. It's like, why do you know something's wrong? Are you implying that the reason we know that is because it's in the Bible or something? Because there's a lot, there's a lot of people that have anti-murder in in their religion and philosophy, and they have stuff that predates the Bible. As a matter of fact, yeah. So you could look at it as the Bible, which I believe is is the word of God spoken to man that's mm. written down and gotten to us, you know, however many thousands of years later. Um, so there's there's a few different. Uh, fields of theology as it pertains specifically to this question. You, you could look at it as God's general revelation, God's natural revelation, in that there is an indwelling in us as image bearers of God, right? So that's what scripture describes all of us as. We are image bearers of God. That's what separates us from the dogs and the cats and the lions and different things like that. And so in that, we have a nature that is sinful, that came with the fall of, of man, right? Whether you take Adam and Eve literally or not. 
So what came with the fall is sin entered the world, brokenness entered the world. And from then on, sin has been, or the world has been broken to a degree. And so with that in mind, there's this indwelling nature in us that we don't have to be taught to sin. We don't have to be taught to do bad things. We have to be taught the opposite. We have to be taught not to do those things. You don't teach a kid how to be selfish. They're just selfish. You don't teach a kid how to, you know, only want their things done in their time frame. They just do that on their own. And so whenever people say, oh, do you, do you just believe that because the Bible says it? Well, I don't believe the Bible are just words on a page. I believe there's something very fundamentally different about that particular work, right? It's not, a, it's not a book. It's a collection of transcripts. But overall, I think that we have a nature in us that understands that, but we have to know where that nature comes from. Does that nature come from just billions of years of evolution that we we were slime and then we were fish and then we were chimps and then you know we were us? Or does that come because we were designed by God to operate in this way? Again, I, I feel like I'm giving a short strip, but I want to be, you know, contextual of the time that we have today. Sure. Yeah. But I'm going to have to push back on that because yeah. uh, uh, what you said about children. Yeah, it's it's true that all. All animals, human or otherwise, have to be socialized, right? That's mm -hmm. that's not unique to human beings like monkeys learn to cooperate with each other. And if they don't, they get punished or uh, or, or uh, kicked out of the group. Right. So this is this is something that happens in other places than just places that even know how to read, much less write things down or understand that stuff. This episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. You get 20% off your first order using the code CITIZEN. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-operated company that supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. I drink it every morning. It's part of my routine now. Uh, I use the Chemex, um, grind up my coffee, use the Chemex, make a nice little cup, drink it with breakfast, get my day started right. Uh, you know, the, the best thing other than just the flavor because the coffee is really good is the convenience. So you're going to get premium coffee delivered every month as you see fit. Choose your favorite roast, whether you like light, dark, or medium. Uh, choose the grind, whether you want ground coffee or you want whole bean to grind yourself, or if you want coffee rounds, which fit in the Keurig, and uh, your delivery schedule every week, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever you want. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use the code CITIZEN to get 20% off your first order. Oh, boy, next up is Ghost Bed. You know it. I love these beds so much. I can't tell you, uh, when I'm on the road and we travel a lot, just having to sleep in an inferior bed drives me crazy. Uh, and as a lot of you know, I travel with my ghost pillow now, which seems, I don't know, bougie, maybe needy, maybe a little weird, but I can't sleep without it. Uh, luckily, they're the best in the world, and they're not that expensive. So right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off their bundle package where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. So if you're looking to buy an entire bedroom suite, this is the way to go because everything else you add to that order of, uh, of a mattress and an adjustable base will also be 40% off. If you're just looking for little things, onesie-twosie, if you just need a mattress or you just need an adjustable base or you need pillow sheets, whatever, 30% off everything else if you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros. You can buy a mattress for like 35 bucks a month. Uh, if you use their zero down, 0% financing plan, which extends up to 60 months, six, zero, five years. Go check it out. 
ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros. Yeah, I think uh, that's a fair point. I think it goes back to the fundamental difference. Like we, I like it's, it's either true. This is true or it's not true. We're either animals, just like all the other animals. We just evolved to have bigger, more foundational brains mm. that can overtake and overpower nature, or we are to be set apart from creation. And, you know, if you look at it again, as if we are image bearers of God, we are unique in our aspect to be able to discern and determine what we are to do in, in this culture that we're in. And it goes back to how do we determine whether or not our worldview is correct? Because I'm a big time believer in capital T truth. I mean, you, you seem to be a big time believer in capital L liberty. And it's like, how do we know what things are true and what things are not? And I hate when things just break out into the ethereal and everyone just throws their hands up in the end and says, I don't know. Because there's a lot of things that you could ask me right now, Dan, that I'm like, bro. I have no freaking idea. Mm. I can't find the answer in the Bible to that particular question. But the more I look at it and the more I reveal it, the the more I, I believe that that is the right and ordered way to live, which opens opens you up, opens a guy like me up to, well, are the Presbyterians doing it right? Or are the Reformed Baptists mm. doing it right? Or are the Catholics? Or who is doing it the right way? And, and unfortunately, I don't have a great answer to that as well. Um, for me, the foundation of my particular faith and my particular worldview is the evidence of the resurrection. Everything else is not just window dressing. It's important, but that's that's where I start and that's where I go. Um, but but even to go, to go back to your answer, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to say, hey, we have some similarities mm. in this world, which kind of leads to the ordering of the world, the fine tuning of the universe specifically to Earth, how life is even possible here, uh, which, uh, again, opens you up to cosmological arguments and everything mm. else. Yeah, it's like uh, I, I, I get that. So, And, and what you're describing about the intra-religion, I guess, debate on, you know, fine line theology, if you want to call it that, mm. uh, uh, exegesis, maybe, if you want to I, call I've it never that. heard it called that, but I'm going to totally steal that fine yeah. line theology. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, that That's something that happens to a large degree, you know, the farther north you go uh, with inter-religion as well, like in, in between two very disparate religions or between philosophies that have some... Um, that brush up against ethics and morality that don't necessarily have a deity, right? These are, these are some, like if you go far enough into a conversation, you're going to hear this exact same argument. And to me, it it almost seems like um, something that would be something that would be extremely useful in this scenario is something like an ethical or moral Rosetta stone, right? Cause it might Mm. be the case that, uh, you know, these letters to the churches in, in the first century, for example, or uh, the the description of the kings of Israel or, or the prophets um, were written for a specific group of people to illustrate what morality is. And then, you know, uh, the religions of Hindi and things like that. So instead of instead of using um, <clears throat> instead of using kings and prophets and their good and bad sides, you know, Hindi uses multiple gods with different traits. The same thing with the early Greeks and Romans. Romans um, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it could be, and this is why I tell people, I, I've, in, in my youth, I was guilty of this myself because I just didn't see the utility. But don't, and, and I'll say this about politics as well in a sec, but it's a, it's a mistake to dismiss what religion is trying to do, right? I think that's a mistake for people that aren't religious to do that because... If you consider how these messages have been delivered through time, um, how, you know, the prescription of um, the message, how it's bundled in a parable, 
attached to a good or bad entity, right? Whether it's a human being or a deity or something like that. It is very clearly, and this is, if you just read the red text in the New Testament, you're going to find this, right? Uh, It's, it's, uh, one of my favorite stories is about the Good Samaritan, and it's not what everybody thinks it is. For some reason, people have this idea that the Samaritan uh, is an analog for a guy who's just a good dude. But that's not what it is. The Samaritans our Sumerians uh, and Israelites were not friends, right? It was Hatfield and McCoy kind of situation. They were, right. they were, those two men weren't enemies, but their two groups were enemies. And they looked past that bullshit and helped each other out, right? Despite that. Mm-hmm. And that's the lesson of that story. And it really makes me angry that the story is now just like, oh, just be a good person. Like, no, the point is to be a good person to people who you are uh, un, like unaligned with. That's the point. Right. People that aren't like you, that don't have your immutable characteristics, that wouldn't vote the way that you would, all those types of things, that there should be an ethic above the ethic of your culture, your neighborhood, red tie, blue tie, those types of things. But another interesting thing that you brought up is when you say, hey, basically don't don't throw out religion and throw out any things that have come from religion. One of the interesting things about that is there are people that don't believe in religion, but they still live – in a way that is aligned in mm. alignment with the, the dictates of that morality. And so it's like, Hey, I don't have to believe it. Like I've talked about this on the abortion issue. It's like, people are like with Donald Trump, for instance, they're like, well, he's not actually pro-life in his, in his, you know, heart. And I'm like, as a pro-life person, do you care if he's pro-life in his heart or do you care if he legislates as if mm. he's pro-life, right? Let's say Joe Biden is actually pro-life in his heart. Well, he's not legislating that way. So I don't really care what your heart says you should do i care about what you actually do and that brings up somebody that you know would would for all intents and purposes be a secular individual but jordan peterson this is a guy that has really really tried to caution the the horse the four horsemen of new atheism there's only three of them left but caution these guys to say hey let's not just throw out this judeo-christian ethic that has led us to this western society and that that we have today let's not just throw that out because you don't believe in all of it you believe it's just you know fairy tales and all this stuff that has you know metastasized Mm. over time and so i I think that's important as well because i think jordan peterson has a reverence for scripture that a lot of christians don't have he certainly reads the bible a whole lot more than a lot of christians that i know because in oklahoma you have a stack of bibles and then there's a stack of dust on top of those and every now and then around easter and christmas you (laughs) blow the dust off the top of one of them and then you go to church and act like you're you've been moral the entire time whereas like i i like that people that are digging into the scripture saying like hey i'm not coming in with any preconceived notions that this is actually true i'm here on a true journey and this is just part of the process yeah and you know frankly as you you kind of animated this to some degree but um if you're a if you're an irreligious person and you're just looking for wisdom you don't like the the whether or not all the claims being made about the nature of the universe are true or not has no bearing on whether or not the wisdom is there. Right. Well, and Dan, if I can, if I can hop back in, I want you to keep your point, but I wanted to make this earlier when you made the point about the Stoics. So I have a book list on my website. It's called the 100 books. Every modern Christian man should read list. And if you're a non-Christian, you might think, well, I don't read those books. It's just going to be a bunch of theology books and squishy, you know, Christian books or something like that. But we have meditations from Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. We have the Prince from Machiavelli. We have the 48 laws of power by Robert Greene. We have some books that, definitely don't come from a Judeo-Christian ethic or a Christian worldview. And I've been challenged before, like, Kyle, why would you put these on there? I was like, 
because there's wisdom in there. Mm. Now you have to put that wisdom through a rubric or a matrix or a siphon it off and say like, Hey, based on your worldview, like how much of this stuff are you going to just accept? And how much of this stuff are you just going to discard outright? But to pretend as if, to pretend as if you can read the 48 laws of power and get nothing out of it because he doesn't quote the red letters of Jesus, you're out of your mind. Yeah, like you're tough. absolutely out of your mind. But anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, it's pretty myopic. And but as a species, we're pretty myopic, right? We see what's <laughs> what's in front of us and 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 very rarely any farther or any wider, unfortunately. But, you know, <clears throat> Jordan Peterson's a good example of that. He's not a particularly religious person, but um does Bible studies to because he understands the the wisdom involved there, and I that it, I think it's a very interesting thing to do, um, and it's something that we. It's a good example that he sets in that way, not to be a dick about it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, it, it doesn't do us any good to do that, and it's something that we uh, a point that I, that I was leading to with this is that this is what we do. <sighs> This is what we do in politics now. We routinely dismiss people who offer up solutions we disagree with. But mm -hmm. rarely do we consider that the solution that they are offering, while maybe stupid or corrupt even, is actually highlighting a real problem that needs to be solved. So, um, like, the reparation issue is un... It, that's a non-starter. The, the idea of, of a current group of people being taxed to pay for evils they never committed is absolute nonsense to me. However, yeah. there is a group of people in our country that are struggling for one reason or another. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's not. I happen to think that it is more about liberty and personal entrepreneurship and uh, uh, about resolving the nihilism in a community that's been fucking disabused routinely over the past several hundred years by you know the government specifically. But to, to just throw that out and say, I don't agree with your solution, so your problem doesn't exist. That's fucking stupid. You know what I mean? That's how, like, that's how, that, that that's that's basically somebody refusing to go to the doctor when there's a lump on their leg. You know what I mean? That cancer yep. is going to eat you up. We all have to live in this society together. That's how it works. And it should be very uncomfortable for you as a human being to look at your fucking neighbor and see them struggling and not feel some kind of impetus to go help them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, and it's, it's a problem that like cancer metastasizes. And it's why we are now able to just step over homeless people in the street because they're just a burden on us. Now that's a human being that's struggling right there. And we have no plan as a society to solve that problem. Not, not any, there's no plan to solve this. I think it's because, well, here, I'm going to make it sound like I'm about to you know, solve the issue in one sentence. Uh, but to be a little bit more broad, you see people focus on the solutions, and they have a very binary view as to, as you described it, they're either going to support that or not support that, and then they're going to end the discussion because, again, as you said, they don't appreciate the solutions. But just because you think the solution is stupid, and I would co-sign your statement, like, here's the thing, is like, I don't owe anybody anything. 
because I'm uh, of Irish descent and Choctaw Indian. So the Irish, we were treated horrifically uh, after the potato famine when we got here. And I'm Choctaw Indian. So I've been enslaved and I've been an enslaver. So it's like, I don't know whose dog in the fight uh, I have to represent. But just because I have this level of ginger melanin, I all of a sudden owe people money. Here's the other thing. My mom, uh, when she got remarried, she happened to marry a black man. Mm. So if reparations were to become a thing, does she walk the reparations from her side of the house over to his side of the house? Oh, is he a descendant of a black slave or a black slaver? Do we know that? Mm. Is he a descendant of a tribe in Africa that actually gathered up the people from the rival tribe and put them in cages by the sea so that whenever the people from Portugal and Spain and everywhere else came to get these people, that they were already ready to go and package it up? See, you know, when we start opening up these layers, but I think what it what it gets down to without, you know, getting too far out of the out of the pocket here is we love univaried analysis. We love it. We love to just look at the top line of any subject matter and then decide whether or not we agree or disagree with that. And then we make that our calling card. We make that our T-shirt. We make that our bumper sticker. We make that our social media slogan. But the thing about it is, is nothing is that simple. Nothing is that simple. You have to go multiple layers deep to where it's just like reparations, good or bad. That's not actually the question. You have to dig down and think, okay, if we wanted to do this, like let's just do a thought experiment. If we wanted to provide reparations for a particular people group in the United States based on their immutable characteristics, how would we go about doing that? And just by asking yourself that intellectually honest question, you're going to get into a lot of different things as you start to peel back the layers of the onion, where that becomes a whole lot better than just saying, oh, I like it or oh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me, the question is, um, yeah, well, it's not just a single question. It's a, a series of questions. One, is this problem real to um, <clears throat> Is the solution being offered in alignment with our collective morality? And, and mm. you know, like we, we understand what's right and wrong typically. Uh, and then three, will it actually affect the change that we want? Because if the answer to those, if the answer to this, yeah. the, this series of questions is, well, no, it's not necessarily going to fix anything, but it's the right thing to do. That's not the right thing to do. That's stupid, right? That that is that is uh, the ultimate version of virtue signaling. Like you, these people will still be suffering, but you'll feel better for having done something. That's that's yeah. for you. That's for you, right. motherfucker. <clears throat> that's not for them. That's for you. And I don't want to hear that shit anymore. I'm tired of hearing it. And it's look, the reparation thing is actually a pretty low level version of that, to be honest, mm. because you, you don't really hear it talked about that much. But gun control is one that's pretty prevalent in America. It's like, man, go through this series of questions. Because regardless of uh, what your religion is, if you're uh, or, or whether you have one at all, if you if you are somebody who is deep, a deeply patriotic American, you are going to understand that we have a right to defend ourselves against an oppressive government. And the only reason people weren't getting thrown into fucking camps here in America is because we all got guns, bitch. And the government didn't even think about that shit. It was never even posited. Right. So the question, the series of question goes something like this. Yeah. We have some problems in this country, uh, related to violence is this discussion about banning guns going to be helpful in some way. Of course not. You know what I mean? Like, if, one, there's no feasible way of doing that in the first place. But would it actually right, solve the problem with people's souls? 
You know what I mean? This nihilism that's brought on by a lack of purpose. The solution to that is something that you talk about a lot, whether you realize you're doing it or not. And it's not religion necessarily, but it's, you know, men being men. It's, it's masculinity and exercising it the way it's appropriate. Now, people talk about toxic masculinity. Again, I will say that uh, a poor craftsman blames their tools. The biological purpose for masculinity is to provide and to protect and nothing further, right? The, it, it is, the aggression is to be weaponized for good, just like any other trait. If, you're, if you can jump really high, you should try to go fucking play basketball. If you can throw a ball really fast, you should go be a quarterback or a pitcher or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you've got really good hand-eye coordination, you should do that. And if you've got the temperament to be a warrior, you should do that. It's, you can choose, at the end of the day, whether you're going to use your skills and talents for good or for bad, right? Or if you're just going to use yeah. it for yourself, which I would lump into the bad part. Dude, so much good stuff there. Uh, if we have some time, I want to get back to the gun issue because I actually did a debate uh, on a debate show over in the UK. It's typically an atheist and a, and a theist debating each other, but it was me and another Christian debating guns. And this is an anti-gun guy that goes around the, the United States, literally goes on tour and convinces people to turn in their firearms and they destroy the firearms in front of them. And they, they do it because they took, you know, some some scripture in Isaiah to, you know, completely out of context. So uh, if that's interesting enough to you, we'll get back to it. But on the manhood stuff... I think a lot of it comes down to how we understand the word meek. So taking it back to, to Jesus, Jesus a lot of times is described as Jesus, meek and mild, right? So when we look at modern entertainment or even, you know, Renaissance paintings, we see this like awkwardly white Danish looking Jesus guy, like not a Middle Eastern Jew, right? But like this guy with like dirty blonde hair and soft features and blue eyes and this, you know, frail frame. And we see him just like carrying around lambs and like kissing people on the tips of their noses and like, oh, that's Jesus meek and mild. But then whenever you read about when Jesus cleared the temple, so they were, there were money changers and people, you know, doing things that were illegal and they were doing it inside the temple in Jerusalem. We see from scripture that Jesus left, made a whip, came back and drove out all the people and animals. So that was premeditated righteous aggression sure doesn't sound very christ-like you know according to you know your 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 awanus or your vacation bible school teacher or something like that but that's where you get the lamb of god versus the lion of judah and jesus is 100 both of those things but i'll stop preaching i'll get back to meekness what meekness is and jordan peterson again helped modern christians understand why this word was written down in the way that it was meekness is not having the capability of violence Meekness is being an incredibly violent person, a person capable of violence, but they have it under voluntary control. Mm -hmm. Because you talk about toxic masculinity, we don't want our men to be masculine at all, but we want our women to be masculine and we'll call them the better versions of men. That's how we do this in the modern culture, which leads into the transgenderism stuff as well. But there is nothing valuable to about a weak man. There's no value to that person. And if you're scared of what a strong man can do, wait until you see what a weak man will do. But it, well, people, we look at these people and we're like, okay, we're just going to take the balls off of all of masculinity in our current society. And then we're going to pretend as if that's going to help us. But when you look around and you need a sheepdog and there's not one available, you're going to be the first one complaining about why you don't have one available at your beck and call. And so I, I think this, this gets into a lot of other different areas, but again, there's no virtue in being an undangerous man. There's also no virtue in being a dangerous man that uses that to hurt other people. Mm -hmm. What is the best type of person is somebody that has that capability and that capacity for violence that knows how to use the sword, but keeps it sheathed as Jordan Peterson told us. Yeah, sure. I mean, and again, this is, uh, 
it isn't something that you have to feel preached at about because this uh, it's very very obvious that that uh, uh, that this is the purpose of masculinity. Now, I I would agree that in the way that people define toxic masculinity, it's not a good thing. But that's not like the the, the problem is. That, the attempt to associate all masculinity with toxic masculinity. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's, uh, that is, that's monolithing, right? Which is something that we're very critical of when somebody says all of this group are this thing. And any other time you say it, unless, you know, you're talking about men or you're talking about white people or Christians and that's just how it goes. It's in out group dynamics at at a large scale and it's happened before. Well, and you also have to ask them, what do they mean by toxic? Because if you were to say somebody that is a sexual predator and, you know, preys on people that are weaker than them, yeah, I'm going to co-sign that. Like, you can come up with a lot of things on the list, but what most of the people that yeah, complain but the, about toxic... But the but what's the solution to that guy who preys on the weak? It's a guy who preys on people who prey on the weak, right? It's a sheepdog. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, how do you... Where, where, how do, where, where did that train leave the rails? Like, I'm very, I'm very curious about that because it started when all this shit started a couple of decades ago, people were talking about, we need male allies to protect us from the sexism, from the aggression Mm. and whatever the fuck. And now over the past 10 years or so, maybe eight or eight or five or five or eight years, it's turned into like, uh, all men are, are evil. All cops are bastards, whatever, all these stupid fucking statements. Right. Well, and, you know, we, we talked about the transgender thing as well. Um, whenever you're doing transgenderism, you're either doing man face or woman face, kind of like blackface. You're just putting on the makeup and the appearance of the sex that you wish you were, the gender you wish you were. But the thing about it is, is like, yeah, we can come up with stuff and examples that we would actually all agree on is toxic, but that's not what they mean. What they mean is you have aggression, you have testosterone, you're hard to control. Uh, you, you think for yourself, uh, you're ambitious, you're competitive, you want to win, you want to be able to use violence without restriction when it's called for to protect somebody else, a la the sheepdog. And so that's the thing that as culture, we don't agree. So when people are like toxic masculinity, bad, it goes back to univariate analysis. It's like, we don't agree on what that means. So no, I'm not going to co-sign it. So from your, your perspective, um, you know, where, where, <sighs> How are we turning this around now? Because there's a lot of people in the community that are starting to talk more about masculinity. I think the problem is pro- is going to, uh, in some way, solve itself. It's a matter of representation, you know what I mean? When you're surrounded constantly by people who are moralizing uh, uh, certain issues and then socializing you, uh, it's manufactured consent, right? So you, you, yeah. pre- you pressure people socially to believe a certain thing, and even if they don't believe it, they'll start to act as if they do believe it. But yeah. Any and any time that ever happens, the pendulum always swings back in the other direction, right? People, yeah. People ultimately realize what's real and what's not real. Typically speaking, I mean, you haven't seen uh, disastrous beliefs like that go unchecked permanently. The, there's always a right. reckoning at some point. What do you see that looking like? So I wonder if we're in the middle of the reckoning. I mean, here we are having this discussion before the midterms. Uh, we're seeing anybody that wears a red tie, whether they're smart or not, whether they have the the right voting record or not. People are trending that direction. Independents are trending that direction. And if you're a red tie person, yeah, thumbs up. You're super excited. You're waving your American flag. But what I want to get to is the overall issue. And this this might seem a little micro. This is getting like kind of into the weeds a little bit. But I think problem part of the problem that we have, Dan, is 
we leave boys to self-initiate. Okay. So Dr. Warren Farrell wrote a book called the boy crisis and he spends 450 pages digging in. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. We're about to release our episode with him next week. But when you, when you dig into the data, that's as a part of that book, you realize one of the things that are, you know, befalling young men is that they're self-initiating in the man into manhood. When Dr. Farrell went on Jordan Peterson's podcast for the third shout out for him on the show, that's what they talked about because when nobody tells you, Hey, you're a man now, here are the good things about you that are innate that are going to do you well. Here are the bad things about you that are innate that you're really going to struggle with. And also here's what the community requires of you. Now here are your list of responsibilities. If you don't do that, the boy will self-initiate and he will say, well, I just had sex for the first time. I guess I'm a man. Well, I just moved out of the house and I moved on to college. I guess I'm a man. Well, I just paid uh, cash for my first pickup truck. I guess I'm a man now. And when left to their own devices, a lot of these young men will shockingly turn to things that aren't to their betterment Mm. or the betterment and flourishing of society around them. And so I think there are secular groups and Christian groups specifically that are spending a lot of time thinking about rites of passage, Mm. thinking about ushering young men into manhood. And they're not doing it like on a weekend fishing trip, mind you, they're doing it starting at the age of 12 and they're going on the six or seven year journey. Uh, This uh, pastor named John Tyson out of New York, he wrote a book called the intentional father every single day, from his child's, his son's age 13 to age 18, every single day, they did manhood stuff. Mm. They read books, they went on trips, like everything that you could possibly think of, whether it was culturally or colloquially masculine or not, they did that. It was so unbelievably purposeful. That may seem a little extreme for some people, but a lot of people, secular or not, are really, really focused on rites of passage. I'm not sure I would say it's extreme, considering male rites of passage have been a part of every philosophy, religion, and society that have ever existed until the last 15 years, maybe, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to pin down when it began, but if somebody asked me today what the modern rite of passage to manhood is— I, and except for Judaism, literally, I wouldn't know because yeah, they're the only exactly. ones that have one that is prescribed as part of their doctrine at this point. Um, exactly. And it's, you know, it, and, and on the other side of that, it's not not extreme to expect a young man to understand or, or a young boy to understand what it takes to become a man. Like we this is this is very basic, lower level leadership. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, producing high quality or, or I'm sorry, producing strong men of high moral uh, character is a very important part of any functional society um, mm-hmm. because you will either produce sociopaths, right? Or you'll produce purposeless uh, young men who turn to aggression uh, out of nihilism instead of out of purpose. And that manifests itself in a lot of different ways, like gang violence, mass shooting, mm-hmm. Uh, suicide, t- even in, f- in other countries, terrorism, things like that. This is all a symptom of the same fucking disease. And if mm-hmm. the solution is that for half an hour a day, you're changing a tire or reading five pages in a book or something like that, that takes you 10, 15 minutes. That is not, that's not a fucking, uh, a, a heavy cross to bear. It's it, that's, that's literally the bare minimum that you can do in my opinion. It's a deposit in the right bank account because guess what? Culture is making deposits in your child's account. Society is making deposits in their account. Stupid friends, bad mentors, bad coaches or whatever. They're all making deposits. And so you need mom and dad making good deposits. You need good coaches and good teachers and good community leaders. You need people making those deposits in the right bank account because you're right. It bleeds into everything. When you have a a morally astute 
masculine population, guess what? You're going to be safe because there's going to be a lot of sheepdogs that are ready for war or that are already fighting it. Whenever you have these morally astute men, guess what? They're the men of industry. They're the men of community. They're the ones that are serving in local politics, which is where politics should ultimately stay. You're serving in local politics to, at the behest and for the benefit of the people that are in your constituency. And it's just like things become ordered when you make sure that things go from this top-down structure. In in the Christian world, we look at that as headship of the family, right? Where the, the woman is equal in the eyes of God, but has been given different roles. That's the mm. complementarian view. But when you walk into a household, whether you're religious or not, and there is a strong biblically-based Christian man at the head of that household, and he takes his role of headship seriously, the woman's not oppressed. She's not sitting there in the bonnet waiting to be beaten. The children aren't wondering when dad's going to fly off the handle again. There's a right ordering and a flourishing that is happening that is so hard for people to fathom. The same thing happens in a macro sense in society. Sure. Yeah, but I think, I mean, to to that point, you can, when, I, when I've had this chicken or egg internal debate about how this all got started um, <clears throat> with regard, like the, the mistreatment of women, for example, it seems, it seems to me as though we stopped teaching young men how to be young men and they stopped knowing how to be adults. And then uh, the presentation was what Jordan Peterson warns about, which is weak men trying to pretend to be tough guys. You know what I mean? And it manifests itself in ways that are just not, they're maladaptive traits. Um, Projecting, you know, uh, intersecting your rage and, 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 uh, uh, um, your, your, I guess, weakness into things, you know, your, uh, mm. your insecurities become a big part of your character instead of being things to overcome. Um, yeah. And the victimhood mentality that we've, you know, taken great steps to nurture for some reason over the last 50 yeah. years, it, which is a fucking mystery to me. But, you know, <clears throat> I could see from, uh, From some observer's standpoint, I can see why they would look at that and be like, okay, we've got to do something about men and the right. We have to make them men. You know what I mean? Like, this is why I, I caution people not to just throw your hands up and walk away from a debate because if a person feels strongly enough to have formulated this entire uh, uh, ethos around how to solve this problem, very rarely is it the case that there isn't a problem to be solved. Usually, what they're saying is dumb, but the, <laughs> but the reason they're saying it is not uh, un, unreal. It's, it, that's a, it's a very real thing that needs to be addressed. And this is a very good example of it. Manhood in, in, in the West is, a, is, is probably the best example of it, actually. When I think with manhood overall, again, I think we can have some some cultural agreement as to what good things we want to see. But I think what a lot of people do, Dan, is they will straw man manhood and they won't steal man. So straw man, obviously, you build up the weakest part of someone's worldview and then you knock that down as if that's impressive. Steel manning is you build up the best version of that and then you knock that down. But we build up this caricature masculinity, right? So of that typical toxic male. So uh, love shooting guns, tattoos, muscles, beard, cigars, whiskey, beef jerky, hunting, like all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as a, a pastor buddy of mine out in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, Joby Martin said, he's like, those things make you awesome. They don't make you a man. And so I think that we have an agreed upon definition or we, we can get to an agreed upon definition culturally and societally as to what we want to see from our men. And shockingly, it's not going to have a whole lot to do with, with hunting or, you know, making sure you, you clean your firearm or any of those types of things. It's going to go to the things that, again, lead to the flourishing of society. Now, 
Is part of that going to be killing animals so that your family can eat? Sure. Is part of that going to be uh, preparing your body in case you need to go to war or in case you need to go to work? Absolutely. But that's not the be all end all. 20 inch biceps doesn't mean you're any better of a father. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, not to quote Batman or anything, but it's it's not who you are, but what you do that matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whomever you see yourself as, that's fine. Your identity. I mean, we're wrapped up in identity these days. Uh, I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. You know what I mean? Uh, right. It is what you do that matters ultimately, because what you do, the, the most important thing you can ever understand about life is that it's not about you. Um, it is. It is reductive to say you're a cog in a machine. But it, I, I think it's I think it's more appropriate to say that everybody is counting on you. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. man or woman, no matter what your role in society is, there are other people counting on you to perform that role with a strong sense of moral character. Uh, you know, regardless <clears throat> of of what you believe and all that stuff, it's there. There is no. Societal decay happens because people stop investing in society and they stop investing in society because they become nihilistic about society and they become nihilistic about society because they don't have any purpose or at least they don't recognize what their purpose is. And that is the same for anybody, right? I mean, you look at some of the highest performing people that exist, athletes, um, professional athletes, you put them in a bad situation where they don't feel like their talents are being used well and the weak ones crumble, right? The most, mm. some of the most physically gifted and talented people on earth will underperform and sometimes not perform and sometimes just quit because they've lost their purpose and sense of purpose. Now that's a choice you make. Nobody can tell you that. The only things you can really control in your life are your attitude and your effort. Those are the only two things. And you know, if you're going to, this is why the victim victimhood mentality is so uh, poisonous to society because it ultimately leads to this. It leads to people. The circle is very clear. You can eschew any responsibility by claiming victimhood, then you lose your purpose, and then you stop contributing to society, and then society falls. That's how that works. I, I certainly think you're describing the continuum appropriately. And in addition to that. In going back to something you said a couple of minutes ago, people have lost the sense that other people are relying on them because culture has taught us that narcissism is appropriate, that we should focus on our needs and our truth and the things that the boxes we need to check before we focus on other things. So that will lead a selfish woman to leave her her husband and children because she's not being fulfilled and she's not Mm. being unleashed and she's not being whatever, you know, stupid Instagram influencer told her to say. And so she's forgetting the fact that she's a mother and a wife, and then she's going to seek out her truth and her whatever and her flourishing and all those types of things. And I think that is a symptom of a sick person when their first thing is, are my needs currently being met? And especially for a man, because if you're running a household, if you've got a wife and children, and all of a sudden you think to yourself, man, are my needs being met here? It's like, brother, you've got things completely out of whack mm-hmm. and out of order because guess uh, one of the best ways I've heard this described, and I'm going to totally destroy it. Uh, this, this guy that was, you know, he's like a mechanic. He's like rubbing his hands. Cause he's got arthritic hands. His hands hurt. And his daughter came up to him and said, daddy, do your hands hurt? And the dad asks her, honey, do you have enough food to eat? She's like, well, yeah. Well, honey, do you have most of the toys that you want? Yeah. Do you have all the things you need to go to school? Yeah. And then he goes, then no, 
daddy's hands don't hurt. And I know that that's kind of a cute, kitschy story, but that's such a beautiful example of the sacrificial father that is so important for all of us to understand if we're going to be able to model that and emulate that. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> I mean, it's understand what your role is and, you know, take the time to surround yourself with people who share your worldview at that highest possible level. Otherwise, mm. you're just not going to have a very successful or happy life. That's just how it works. Um, this has been a good show. Appreciate your time today. Uh, tell people where they can find you, where they can find your shows, books, whatever the hell else you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. Website is www.undaunted.life. And then you can find Undaunted Life, a man's podcast, everywhere you get your podcasts. And we're at Undaunted Life on all social media. And guys, uh, we just got our first ding from YouTube today. So if you like our content and you like the stuff that we do, we do have a donation page on our website, undaunted.life backslash donate. So we get a little bit of money from advertising, but the the way that we're able to keep getting this message out there to you is that we're partnering with guys like you out there. But I just appreciate the time and having me on the show. Yeah, man, I appreciate uh, your time as well today. And I appreciate you all listening. Uh, go check them out. This has been Citizen. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save 